0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Christian Terbish.
1: Welcome back. I'm Christian Terbish. This is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio here on Series XM. Today we're talking about bike sharing, and in the first half of the show... I talked to Bob Burns, who is the president of B-Cycle. We talked about bicycle sharing, including the sharing service Indigo here in Philly. It's now my great pleasure to welcome my second guest of today, Justin Daw, who is the president of Scoot, a shared electric scooter company that started in San Francisco, but now is also operating in Barcelona. Welcome, Justin.
0: Thank you, Christian. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, San Francisco, Barcelona, you seem to have a a bias for nice locations, Justin. Is this good weather a key element for scooters to be successful, or is this just your preference for just really two cool, exciting cities? Um,
0: You know, our founding CEO, Michael Keating, uh, has a master's in urban planning, and he loves great cities, and our goal as a company is to help build better, more sustainable cities. So, um, yeah, we've started in great places for building companies and places where people are interested in, lots of different types of uh, modes of transportation so we're, we're very happy to be in both of those cities
1: i will be in san francisco on saturday this week how can i get one of your scooters my office is uh, located there near the ferry terminal uh i come out of the office and i feel like riding one of your scooters what what is the workflow what do i have to do
0: sure uh well, ideally, ahead of time, you can download the app and we have everybody watch some videos uh, for safety and to make sure that they know how to use um, a, a small motor scooter. And then from there, the scooters are out on the street, um, and you can just pick one up from anywhere you like you. The app will show you where they are, you reserve it, and you get fifteen minutes to get to it. and then you rent it and uh, you know for you get half an hour up front, and then we charge by the minute after that. So, it's a great way to get around town, and then you can just leave the, the scooter just about anywhere in the city, right at the curb. So there's no, no docks or parking stations. Uh, we've worked with the city to create a permit that lets you just leave the scooter at your destination.
1: So I'm just picturing myself standing there at the ferry terminal, and here's what goes through my mind. I could use public transport to get to my next location. I could get a lift or an Uber. I could walk. As a as a passenger as a as, as a customer, I care about kind of speed and, and money. Uh, where where do you how do you compare to your competitors of, uh, of of the Uber of the public transport when I just take the scooter?
0: Sure. So what you said is speed and money, and that's exactly uh, what we've boiled the service down to uh, being able to help people with. Is we we aim for fast and affordable service for the end the customer. So um, I don't think you'll find any faster way to get around the city. It's uh, generally faster than uh, even taking a, an Uber or a taxi. Um, and in terms of affordability, it's great. You know, it's typically anywhere from 3 to $5 for the first half hour, you know, $5 at rush hour and uh, a little bit less most of the time. And you get half an hour included in that. And our typical ride is about 20 minutes, so you can get almost anywhere in the city in, uh, in that first few dollars.
1: And unlike the bike sharing, uh, the uphill is going to get a blast with the electric scooter, I imagine. Uh, t- tell me more yeah. about the hardware, so to say. The scooters that you, uh, you, you rent out or you, you share.
0: Sure. So Scoot was the first operator of uh, a 100% shared electric fleet um, anywhere in the world, actually, when we started back in 2012. So we've built all of our own technology. And the reason that's really important is it lets us use the best vehicle for each city and like I said you know our goal is always to make better cities and so um, you know in San Francisco the scooters are one seat uh, sort of 50 cc equivalent which means a top speed around 30 miles per hour Um, then in Barcelona where everybody knows how to ride motorcycles it's just kind of the culture um, we have a 125 cc scooter so a a much faster top speed a two-seater and we also have the e-bikes there uh, because there's so much uh, public infrastructure for riding e-bikes there.
1: So you, you literally designed the, the scooter that you're renting out. That's Is this your, your proprietary design?
0: No, no, no. So the the vehicles are um, are kind of mass-market vehicles, but we use our own hardware to make them shareable, and then we, of course, have all sorts of modifications we, we make to make them appropriate for sharing. But, no, we don't start from scratch. Uh, there's already great uh, electric vehicles out there, and we just make them appropriate for sharing.
1: Uh, who produces, uh, in, in your case, who produces your fleet?
0: Um, in In... Both cities actually were able to use local manufacturers, which is really great, and we feel like it's part of uh, fitting into the local community. So here in San Francisco, we use a a vehicle made by Gen Z, and the manufacturing is done here in the Bay Area. And then in Barcelona, we use a scooter called the Silence, and the Silence is made also in the Barcelona metro area. So we're really happy to have local providers in both of those cities.
1: So as a customer now, you know, standing at the ferry terminal, I'm, for me a kind of a key element for making fast and affordable possible is that I don't have to walk too far to the next parked scooter. So how how many scooters will you have in the city?
0: Sure. Today we have over 500, and we are growing to 1,000. Uh, we've been really successful in the last few years, and uh, we're growing quickly. So we tripled last year, and we will double San Francisco this year, um, and then we're actually starting with uh, 1,500 in Barcelona. So the Barcelona operation will be even bigger uh, than San Francisco from day one. It's a, it's a bigger city there.
1: Help me turn this into some form of a density calculation, right? I mean, so more f- yeah. more more scooters in the city that means that uh, the likelihood that I have to walk more than a couple of blocks is getting smaller. What what is a typical travel distance that you would measure if you let the scooters just organically play out where they are? Uh, if I drop a pin on a map in San Francisco, in kind of downtown, Fisherman's Wharf, the kind sure. of the, the nice areas, how far do I have to yeah. walk to the next scooter?
0: Of course, you you you're generally going to need to walk, you know, just a couple of blocks at the most. So it's very quick, and um, you know, it's um, it's a big part of our quality of service. And if you look at our app. One of the nice things it does is as soon as you open it up, it shows you um, the walking directions to the closest scooter. So it's it's right on the map there. You're going to take a left here and then take a right there, and and here's your scooter, and this is the number on it so that you know you're standing at the right one.
1: What is hard about operating a scooter as a service business or as, in general, a a, a sharing business like uh, sharing electric scooters? What, what, What is operationally difficult about that?
0: Sure. So, you know, the... The crux of making a better city with regard to mobility is space. Um, You know, there's the whole essence of a place like Barcelona or San Francisco is a lot of people trying to share not that much space. And so, you know, when you look at uh, San Francisco as an example, there are over 400,000 private gas-burning cars uh, clogging up the city already, and they get basically free parking from the city to park on the street, and they're obviously built to drive on freeways. They weigh 4,000 pounds and they move fast. Um, so they're polluting and dangerous and expensive, and, and they're taking up most of this space. So, you know, in San Francisco, as an example, just over half of households own a car, but they get effectively all of the curb space. And so the hardest part for us in growing has been getting enough space and um, in order to put the vehicles there. And obviously, we think that people sharing small electric vehicles, um, the other half of the city that don't own cars should have some claim on at least some portion of the curb space. And, it took some time, but we eventually were able to create that permit for, for our scooters. It's the first anywhere in the country that lets us uh, park free-floating electric shared vehicles um, at the curb. So that's, uh, that's progress. And, you know, you could go anywhere in the country today or really anywhere in the world and buy yourself a, a BMW SUV and, and go get a parking permit for it pretty easily. But if you want to share small electric vehicles, the city's, are really catching up and trying to figure out um, how to let that happen. Um, so, really, the biggest challenge of making a better city is helping the city understand that we're creating space by helping people live without cars.
1: So that's really interesting. Our first guest, uh, Bob Burns, when he was talking about bicycle sharing, was talking about this kind of the dockless stations versus the docks. You are mm-hmm. going with your model, your dockless. You leave the scooter where you've kind of at your last destination. And so you have this parking challenge, and I understand to you that that you basically negotiated. You 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 paid the city of San Francisco like a parking fee for the vehicles that you have.
0: Yes, that's right. So if you want to park a, your private gas burning car in the city, uh, the city will charge you about ten bucks a month. Um, you know, if you wanted to have a, a, a space from a private operator, they'd charge you anywhere from one hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars a month. Um, so obviously, the city is basically giving away parking for free. And Scoot, on the other hand, we pay $30 a month per scooter, um, and you can put four or five scooters into a parking spot. So uh, we think that it's obviously much more lucrative for the city, and it helps many people who can't afford a car uh, to have affordable mobility. Um, I personally come from the renewable energy space, and it took you know decades of working in wind and solar to bring the costs down to parity. And what's really exciting in shared electric mobility is that you know, anybody today can can use Muni, you know, which is to say that mass transit and can have an unlimited pass with Scoot and, you know, take the occasional Uber or Lyft ride and spend something like a third to half as much as it would have cost to have their own car. That um, obviously makes them a better neighbor and makes it easier for us all to live in a city together. And it's already much more affordable than having a
1: private car. So imagine I would be kind of observing one of your scooters for a 24-hour cycle. How, how, many, how many different rides do you go through? Our previous guest from uh, Trek was talking about how in North Dakota, of all places, they, they, have a, they have a fleet where they get 20 rides per day out of a bike. Well, he said that was somewhat exceptional, but what are, what are typical kind of riderships per bike per day numbers in a city like San Francisco?
0: Sure, you know if you look around at the industry, people get anywhere from three to nine is kind of the is kind of the range that you see across e-bikes and scooters and uh, anything in that range is workable as a business. And when you asked earlier about you know why San Francisco, why Barcelona, what we look for is is big, dense cities. And in the context of the U.S., San Francisco is a dense city. And in the context of Europe, Barcelona is a dense city itself. It's two and a half times as dense as San Francisco and and certainly many of the European cities are much more dense than their uh,
1: North American counterparts. So if I track that scooter over the three to nine, say, six, six rides that has been in, in use each time, maybe going for some 25, 30 minutes, uh, who makes sure that these scooters are fully charged when I pick them up?
0: Yeah, so we take care of all of it. I mean, the what I really see as the biggest change happening in mobility is that it's – not all of these things like charging or fueling or parking or maintenance or insurance or registration or all of the you know the hassles that come along with owning a car they're taken care of by the mobility operator so you as an operate, you know you as a customer you walk out of the ferry building and you open your app and you press a button and there's a vehicle ready to go in fully charged so we take care of all of it and um, and we have some places where you can plug in and other than that if it's not convenient for you you just park on the street and we make sure that it gets taken care of
1: what is the magic behind the the curtain that i don't see i mean so, so you must have operators you must have basically some some support teams that are going out and either plugging in the, the 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 power charger or are kind of like in a in a go-go role basically swapping batteries so what is happening on your side that that this is made possible
0: Yeah. on we basically do all of those operations. Um, every one of our vehicles has what you would call a swappable or exchangeable battery. So that means that if it doesn't happen to go to a uh, to a powered charging location, then we just drive around with our electric service van um, and we swap the batteries. Um, it's something we've found to be quite manageable, and we use our tech to um, to manage that and to be efficient about it. And really, you know, when you're when you're trying to um, operate a large fleet in a city, that type of attention to detail is really crucial. I, I see from your background that you're in operations. I, I was a manufacturing engineer myself, and um, I like to say that, you know, in the last few years what SCOOT has done is we've we've reduced our, our operating cost per ride by over 75%, and that wasn't sort of one big insight. It was a bunch of things that were five cents improvements apiece, and that, and that now lets us operate a very profitable um, a model at a
1: very affordable price point. That's fascinating. That was exactly where I was was, was heading with my next question. Yeah. If I think about the operating cost here, there is some form of depreciation on the hardware. There is the support of the tech person or the, 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 the support van that goes out and makes sure that the vehicle is fully charged. There's a, the overhead cost that you have to the municipality of San Francisco. Uh, can you just walk us kind of through the basic economics of that and, and, see, uh, and tell us a little bit of how, how you got these costs come down so much that you're operating profitably now at, at these pretty remarkably low price points?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what's exciting overall in the model, right, is if you step back and you think about what's happening with mobility, we're going from a model where people own a private vehicle and that one vehicle has to be able to do everything for them, which means that you you sort of naturally end up with like a small SUV that can drive you to the mountains for the weekend and also take you to work. And it has to have, you know, 400 miles of range, which means gasoline, et cetera. And what's really exciting is that what Scoot is doing is we're substituting in information and renewable energy for most of that. And so once you start sharing, basically you're using your phone and we're using um, you know telematics in the vehicle and accelerometers and all of this tracking to let you access a multimodal fleet. So that what that means is that you can go into the Scoot app and you can use an e-bike, you can use a scooter. In the past, we've had little four-wheel electric vehicles and we'll have those again in the future you know, and all of those all of those different modes mean that for this exact trip, you use exactly the right vehicle. And um, if you want to think in terms of technology, you know people like to talk about the the advances in in battery technology. And I would just say, well, if you ride an electric bike or an electric scooter, you need about anywhere from ten to twenty five percent as much energy as if you were um, driving a car. And so think of it as like a four to ten x improvement in the cost of batteries. Just by sharing and by using the right vehicle for each trip, instead of needing to use a car. So you know there's there, there are operating costs that uh, and all of the the vehicle depreciation and whatnot that fits in there. But by sharing small vehicles and by using electric vehicles that are inherently more efficient, all of that fits within you know a three, four, five dollar trip, and is a another price point where then we can. Um, we can make money at it, which means that we can scale, which is what's really exciting because this is a huge issue. You know, in California anyway, 39% of the CO2, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions is coming from transportation. And I think that um, there's a there's a huge opportunity here to see the mobility fleet, the whole vehicle fleet in our cities turn over and become shared and electric um, much faster even than say the power sector or all these other places that we think about when we think about cleaning up. Um,
1: our environment. One thing that we haven't seen a lot of in, uh, in public transport, but a, a ton of in, in airlines and to some extent at Amtrak, is various forms of dynamic pricing. Um, do you adjust prices when things are either busy, when there are other reasons why you want to either attract demand or balance shift demand to another time period? Or is it basically a, a fixed pricing model?
0: Sure. So we think of ourselves as, you know, uh, sort of building community and we, we don't do any rebalancing of the fleet, uh, which is to say our, our operators are not out shuttling the vehicles around the way that you see with a lot of the pedal bicycle systems. And that's, that's a big part of their cost structure for us. If we see that we, you know, we need a vehicle to get to a, to a powered location or something, then we'll give it, we'll put a discount on it. And so, um, you know, we basically get our community of riders to, to move vehicles around and the people who really want you know, a free ride or a discounted ride will, um, will park at a garage or at a powered location and, um, and that's really great for us and it makes the whole system work. So um, we do a little bit of dynamic pricing in the sense that we have um, a slightly higher price at commute time because all the vehicles get taken. Uh, we'd love to just have more space from the city and therefore be able to have more vehicles and meet demand. But for now, uh, we just do sort of this light touch um, dynamic
1: pricing, so that's interesting right so when when demand is high, you peak price, when you need a reallocation of the fleet, you basically diff- give steep discounts or other forms of ride credits so that you can crowdsource the allo- reallocation workforce.
0: exactly. so our our customers our customers uh, are the ones who move the vehicles around if you. Uh, live in san francisco or barcelona and you see a scooter or an e-bike in a particular neighborhood it's because your your neighbor parked it there it's not because scoot put it there um so that's exciting you know the the vehicles really flow where the people need to be and and if you just watch a map of Of the fleet over the day it starts out the morning out in the neighborhoods and the vehicles all flow downtown um you know in the middle of the day and they bop around during the day as people run errands and um, an important an important piece of our business is also couriers you know people who use these vehicles to create a job for themselves and then in the afternoon just what you expect the vehicles all kind of flow out and by uh, six o'clock or so there's there's just about nothing left downtown
1: are there other revenue streams for you? In some sense, you mentioned the relationship with San Francisco. I could imagine a world where a city would almost pay you to come and operate this type of service because, as you're saying, you're taking traffic off the road. You're taking polluting cars out of the city. Uh, are there other revenue streams that you have either by destination pricing where, where destinations give you some sort of kickback, or is it basically all in the price? To the Is, is your entire revenue stream what you get basically from the, the app from your users?
0: It's a great question. You know, um, Michael, our our CEO, when he started, he wanted to have a model that could scale to provide electric vehicles for everyone. And so we said we're not going to build a a business around subsidies that might be local. Uh, So I agree. We create a ton of value for the cities, and we take a lot of pressure off of the roads and reduce congestion and noise and and all the danger that comes along with all these private gas-burning cars. Um, But basically, no, we we operate a totally unsubsidized business, Um, and like I said, we're... We're just trying to pay the cities to let us put more vehicles out on the road. Um, it's really interesting, of course, when you look at, at city budgets, you know, the, the city, because it's giving away um, the on-street parking basically for free here in San Francisco, it then needs a almost $500 million a year transfer from the general fund. And uh, we'd sure love to see um, the private gas-burning cars have to pay their way. Um, we're not looking for subsidies, but it's really, really hard to watch them being subsidized.
1: Speaking of regulatory challenges, we talked about parking a lot, but there's just also the e-bike operation. Uh, new York had a kind of a forth and back on e-bikes, and uh-huh. it seems like there's some regulatory gray zone between pedal-assisted e-bikes versus regular e-bikes. Um, I guess is that the curse of any new category that comes in, that there's this kind of regulatory ambiguity of what this new technology actually is and how it should be handled?
0: Yeah, it's exciting. You know, we're, we're big disciples of sort of the uh, innovation, obviously, being a Silicon Valley company. And our view is, the, you know, the near-term future of urban mobility is shared electric vehicles um, from, you know, all the way up and down. And so everything from the electric kick scooters and e-bikes through scooters and, and electric taxis on up to vans and buses, light rail. And, um, and the metro, you know. So every one of those is shared because sharing is much more efficient, both in terms of cost and equipment and, uh, and space. And then uh, electric is more efficient. And so once a vehicle is being used heavily, it's very natural to, to use uh, an electric vehicle just for operating and economic reasons. So we think it'll be electric vehicles from the top to the bottom and, uh, and shared electric vehicles in particular. And obviously the cities need some time to figure out how to get the private gas burning cars off the streets because um, they are they are truly the bad guy in this equation.
1: So uh, speaking of you, you brought up this need of integration both across different vehicle types, right? I have kind of sometimes. The weather is bad and I would much rather sit in an electric taxi. Sometimes I would want to just go for three blocks and an electric kick scooter would be fine or even just a regular bicycle would be fine. And sometimes maybe I want to do like a 20-minute ride and, and an electric scooter like yours would be the most rewarding. Um, so how, how how is this integration happening beyond that fleet? If I think about the connection to the BART, the the public transport in San Francisco, the connection tool, uh, maybe even the airport. Um, How how, how does the integration in, in, in my mobility needs work beyond just what you have currently mentioned so far?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that in a space like this, where there's a lot of innovation going on, you know, it's important for um, for people to be sharing data. And so, you know, we share data with the cities that we operate in, so that they can see how the vehicles are used and by whom. And I think that it would be great if all operators uh, operated in that same mode. Um, obviously, this is information that is is easily moved around, and so the the actual kind of mechanisms of sharing data are still very much in flux but you know scoot is very um oriented toward trying to create better cities in the first place and so uh, wherever possible we share information with the cities in order to help them see you know how our how our vehicles are helping to reduce um, car traffic, and are, are working with other ways of getting around. The term that we like to use around here is a mobivore, which is like a it's like a transit omnivore, so somebody who's decided to to live by using the right vehicle at the right time instead of by just having one vehicle that they use for everything. And anywhere that we can share data and work with other other providers in that shared electric vehicle stack, uh, we're obviously very happy to do that and help people live that type of a transit omnivore
1: uh, life. We started with San Francisco and Barcelona in this show uh, any location if you could have any pick in the world to build the uh, the third city platform, where would you go
0: well uh it it's really up to the city um, just about any city out there is suitable for this and and everywhere you look, people need uh, fast affordable mobility, so we're looking for cities that are interested in having uh, more clean transportation, more affordable transportation you know for a lot of people. Um, mobility is their third biggest budget item after housing and um, and uh, food, and so you know we're looking for cities that want to help their the people have um, a fast, affordable mobility that's sustainable. So there's there's a bunch of them out there. We'll be expanding in Europe. We'll be expanding in North America. We're looking at other parts of the world as well. So uh, stay tuned
1: to see. Stay tuned. This says Justin uh, Daw, the president of Scoot. Thank you so much, Justin. Uh, we've reached thank the end question. of the show today. Uh, You've been listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School Series exam If you want to have access to some of the older episodes, check out our website, workoftomorrow.com. At this point, all I need to do is uh, thank my sound expert, Dion, and producer, Matt, for their wonderful support. We hope you can join us again this coming Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. I'm Christian Terbish, And on behalf of all of us here at the Wharton School, thank you for listening.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast
1: on iTunes and Google Play. Oh,